And so I'm on the table and the doctor is performing the abortion and I began to silently scream because of how painful it is. And it wasn't that I was told to do that. I had never done anything like that in my life. And I'm gasping for air and the nurse is standing to me, next to me, to my right, and she taps me on the shoulder and she says, stop it, you're scaring the doctor. Not one time did they pause the procedure. Not one time did they ask me if I was okay. After the abortion was over, they transferred my limp body to a reclining chair and my upper body is hanging over the side of the armrest and they will me into the recovery room. There's a real fear that I am going to die in this place and I want to call out to Jesus, but at the same time, I don't know if I can because of what I just done. But as I feel myself just continually getting worse, I eventually cry out to Jesus and I, Jesus, and I said, Jesus, please don't let me die here, not here and not like this. Well, I lived with my grandmother for a short amount of time, but during that time, she is the one who introduced me to Jesus. Life was filled with um, going to church on Sundays and the smell of macaroni and cheese filling the home on that day. I remember that I was baptized under her care, but because I was with her for a short period of time, when I returned back to my mother, being apart from my grandmother also meant apart from Jesus. At home with my mom, I was raised with four siblings, and we didn't know Jesus. And one of the things that was my mother experienced growing up was that she didn't have physical affection. So that was kind of passed down to us, and I became desperate for love as a teenager. I began to confuse sex with love, and so during the act of sex, I would feel loved, but once it was over, that emptiness was still there. My mother must have got wind that I was sexually active because one day she told me that if I ever became pregnant, that she was taking me straight to the abortion clinic. Now, as an adult, when I look back at that time, I can see that the message that she was trying to convey was abstinence because I was a teenager or to practice safe sex. but. Because she wasn't a great communicator, I inadvertently associated pregnancy with fear and abortion. At the age of 16, I attempted suicide as a way to escape my home life. So one day I grabbed her gun and I go into the hallway and I put the gun to my head and I pulled the trigger, but nothing happened. And so I reasoned to myself that maybe I put the bullets in backwards, maybe the safety was on. So I repositioned the bullets. I played around with the safety lever. I put the gun to my head again. I pulled the trigger and nothing happened. I thought to myself, I must be so stupid. I don't even know how to kill myself right. And so I was so determined to get that gun to go off. So the third time I reposition the bullets again. I played around with the safety lever, but this time I took the gun outside. I aimed it into the sky, pulled the trigger, and I could not get that gun to fire off. Years later, I found out that my special needs brother who was intellectually disabled got his hands on that same gun and was able to get it to fire off without any difficulty. The only explanation is Jesus. And though I didn't know him personally at that time, he stood between me, darkness, and that gun that day, and he saved my life. By the time I was 17 years old, I ran away from home. And let me tell you, I was homeless, and life on the streets was so much harsher than life at home. So I tucked my tail between my legs. I came back home, and months later, I became pregnant. And I became fearful because at that time, I was 17 years old. I thought about what my mother told me, what would happen to me if I became pregnant. So I decided to take the hike up to the abortion clinic, which was a mile away from my house. And once I got there, I was surprised to find out that it wasn't an abortion clinic at all. It was actually a crisis pregnancy center, which was a blessing in disguise. Eventually, I tell my mother that I'm pregnant and... I'm expecting the worst, but surprisingly, she didn't respond in the way that I had feared or imagined. She was actually supportive. By the age of 18, 
I give birth to my son, and let me tell you, the love that I feel for him is unlike any love I had ever experienced in my life. I was determined to give him a better life than the one that I had. And it was during that time that my neighbor had introduced me to Jesus. And I instantly fell in love with Jesus and the joy of him. Oh, it just rocked my world. And I gave my life to him. And immediately after I became, oh, I was baptized. And life just became so much sweeter. And Jesus became life and hope to a young teen mom when I didn't know what life was going to look like after this. So about five years later, I am at my job, and I see this dude walk into the building, and immediately when he walks into this building, there is this loud, disruptive thought that enters into my mind that tells me I'm going to marry him. And I'm thinking, what in the world? Why would I even say anything like that? And I didn't know that the Holy Spirit can speak so clearly at that time. And I become curious about this dude, and we eventually become best friends, and we're hanging out with one another, and we're like peas and carrots. Like, wherever he is, I want it to be. And this goes on for some time, but then after that, uh, we eventually separated. And it was during the separation that I discover I'm pregnant. I go to tell him that I'm pregnant, and we're, like, discussing what what are we going to do, right? It's during that time when you're thinking about your present circumstances, you're thinking about your past and how you grew up, and you're thinking about your future and the goals that you have set. And it was like our circumstances were determining whether or not we should abort our baby or not. Eventually, he recommends abortion. I go along with it because I don't see any other way. I'm getting ready to start college in just a few days, and I don't know any other way forward. I'm already a single parent. I'm living with my sister at that time, and it just seemed like it was the best choice. But yet, when he recommended that, I felt so conflicted in my soul, like it didn't sit right with me. And eventually nursing school starts. I go and I share what I'm about to do with one of my nursing instructors. And it was only for attendance purposes, because when you're in nursing school, there's strict guidelines about attendance. But anyway, she takes me into her office and I share with her what I'm about to do. And she's so sweet, and she's she's so gentle during that time. And she tells me that the Lord has impressed this phrase upon her heart, thou shall not kill. And she said it in a way that was where she spoke truth and life, but in a very loving way. There was no condemnation, no harsh judgment. And I understood exactly what she meant. I didn't want to abort my child, but at the same time, I didn't know how I was going to move forward. And so the next day we are in a car, her father and I are in a car, and the silence in that vehicle is so deafening. I'm still so conflicted in my soul about this choice to abort our baby. And I remember just looking out the window and I had the same prayer on repeat. It was a simple prayer. God, if you don't want me to abort my baby, get me out of it. And I sat and listened, and I repeated this prayer the entire time there. And by the time we got to the abortion clinic, I didn't hear anything. I thought that Jesus was silent, and I took his silence to mean that maybe this was the will of the Lord because I didn't know Jesus at all. And I didn't understand why he was quiet during this time. So I go into the abortion clinic. The lady calls me in the back, and she performs an ultrasound. And during the ultrasound, I hear her say, hmm. And then afterwards, she looks at me and tells me that I'm too early and that I have to reschedule my appointment in three weeks. And I remember looking at her so confused, thinking, too early? She goes on to tell me that there's a possibility that the doctor may miss the baby because I'm too early. And the reason they recommend me coming back is that if the doctor performed the abortion at that moment, then there's a possibility that he may miss the baby. And then I would have to come in and for a second abortion. And it was like this 
sense of fear and dread lifted off of me and immediately joy erupts from me. And I look at her and I say, ma'am, I'm not coming back. This is exactly what I needed to hear. Jesus wasn't silent. He was actually working behind the scenes to save me and my baby that day. And I put my hope and trust in Jesus and knowing that if he heard my prayers, if he intervened and saved me from aborting my baby that day, then he was going to be able to provide and have all the answers to all the questions and uncertainties I had going forward. And I feel like whenever God calls us to something difficult, calls us to something challenging, that He also provides people to come around you and support you during those challenging times. And for me, it was my sister. She was such a blessing. She encouraged me during that time. She allowed me to stay with her while I was pregnant and with my son. And she empowered me to look towards the future and find ways that I can be independent and take care of my two kids. She was there to make sure I got to my doctor's appointments, and she was there even when I had my baby. And she was such a blessing to me during that time. Like, I had questions about if I would have to drop out of nursing school after I had my baby, but when I didn't have enough faith to believe that God would get us through, she had enough faith for the both of us. So eventually, I give birth to my baby, and the love that I feel for her is is just so overwhelming. There was a lie that while I was pregnant that, that I would hear so many times, and that was that I didn't have enough love to love another child, that I gave it all away to my son, and that because I didn't grow up feeling love, that I wouldn't have anything left to give. But when she was in my arms, oh my God goodness, that lie was immediately demolished under the truth and weight of this new life that was in my arms. And there was an, an awareness as I held her of the gift that she was and the fact that Jesus was fighting for her in my womb and that He loved her and He knew her before she was ever born. And just the fact that we would be okay. I learned to put my trust and faith in Him, knowing that if He got us this far, then He would carry us through. Months later, I graduate from nursing school, and I'm in this crazy place of transition where, though I graduated nursing school, I'm not quite a nurse yet, and I'm in this hard place, and I am struggling financially, emotionally, and mentally. And I'm watching the diapers dwindle down, and I don't have any money to buy her any more diapers. And just the stress of being a single parent and being a single mom to newborn baby just really got to me. And one night, she woke up in the middle of the night crying. I'm sleep-deprived. I wake up, and I'm trying to console her and really being upset about why I had to be the only one in this with her. Like, why isn't there any relief for me? And I feel like I'm failing. And I begin to compare my life to that of her father's at that time, because he's now married. He's raising his wife's child as his own. He has the money. He has the car. He has the house. He has everything. And he looks like he's hashtag winning. Meanwhile, here I am, obedient to the Lord, And I feel like I am failing. And I just really begin to give myself this emotional beating. And meanwhile, she's still crying. And I begin to tell myself that I'm unworthy. I'm unlovable. I'm good enough to have sex with, but not good enough to marry. I'm mad at myself for repeating these generational cycles and patterns that I tried my best to avoid. And every negative thought that I'm having is just like digging a a ditch or a, a pit. It's like digging a pit deeper and deeper, and I am just getting so far in over my head. And the emotional toll of it all just hits me. And I don't know if I said it out loud or if I said it in my heart, but it was at that point that I regretted not going through with the abortion. 
Eventually, my daughter and I both drift off to sleep. I have this dream, and in the dream, I am looking at family photos, and my daughter's in the middle of this photo, and on one of the photos I'm looking at, I'm seeing as she is gradually disappearing from the photo, and I notice that everyone else, it remains the same, but for her, she's gradually disappearing from the photos. And I began becoming curious about that. I'm like, why is she disappearing? And I go into her brother's and her cousin's room, and I ask them about her, and they don't remember her. And I'm trying to jog their memory, and they still don't remember who she is. And I'm thinking, okay, maybe they're kids. Let me go into the other room and ask my sister. And so I go into her room, and, and I say, hey, you know, do you remember her? And she didn't remember her either. And fear and panic just comes upon me and I go back and I'm looking at this photo and she's slowly still disappearing and fading from these photos. And I become afraid that I'm not gonna remember her much longer either. And I immediately wake up and that panic is still on me. And there's a sense of fear that the words of death that I had just spoke came into existence. I immediately go to her crib and I don't know what I'm going to find. I don't know if she's going to be alive or I don't know if I spoke these words into existence. So I get over there to her crib and I was so relieved to find that she was sound asleep. I remember grabbing her and just holding her in my arms and just crying and crying. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, what did I say? And it's like, Jesus allowed me to see and experience the thought that I had briefly entertained. I love my daughter and I never wanted to imagine a life without her. I made a vow to the Lord that day that no matter how rough things get, I will never, ever say anything like that again. And that was such a sweet and precious time with the Lord as He began to meet me in my lack, as He began to build me back up. But it was also a confusing time because I began all of a sudden to wrestle with doubting the existence of Jesus, even after he's shown up for me in numerous ways. And I couldn't shake this doubt. Like, I would pray, but then in the back of my mind, I'm like, okay, am I really praying to someone that exists? You know, were all the times that he showed up for me in the past, was there, was that merely coincidence? Was this a figment of my imagination to make myself feel good about the situation that I was in? Or is there some other rational explanation for this? But Scripture tells us that when we seek Him, we will find Him. And so I began asking the Lord to reveal Himself to me. And one night, I have a dream. And in this dream, I see this massive brown book that takes up the entire screen of my mind. And on the front of this book are the words, Holy Bible, written in gold lettering, And I begin to see this Bible just open up on its own, and the pages are just turning, and then the pages eventually stop. And it just begins to scan on this page until it zooms in on a specific passage. Now remember, the question I have for Jesus is, if you're real, I need you to reveal yourself to me. And this is what that passage of Scripture says, Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. I am the Lord, your God, who teaches you to profit and who leads you in the way that you should go. The Word who is Jesus just revealed Himself through His Holy Word, and He did it in such a specific and personal way. He even revealed Himself to me in first person. He revealed Himself as I am. It really just opened up my life with God and my life with Jesus in such a new way, in a way that I had never seen before, in a way that I never imagined before. And I really began to just put my faith and trust in Him. And it was during that time where, because He started to reveal Himself as Jehovah Jireh to me, that all of those things, those needs that I had before, all of the lack, I saw that He began to provide. He began checking those things off one by one off the box. And where 
There was lack where I didn't have a car, where I didn't have a job, where I didn't have finances. All of those began to come in. So I started seeing him show up for me in a real and tangible way. Thereafter, my need for love began to take over again, and I began to fall away from the Lord. And it was during that time that I began to repeat the same patterns and cycles of behavior, but this time with a different dude, yet with the same exact outcome. He recommends abortion when I tell him I'm pregnant, and I'm shocked by the news that I'm even pregnant because what I didn't mention earlier was that after my baby was born, my last child, that I had my tubes tied, and I didn't even understand how I was even pregnant to begin with in the first place. But both of us were shook by the news. He recommends abortion, and I feel rejected and abandoned all over again. I decide to have a surgical abortion because it's the only type of abortion I knew of at that time. And it was one of the most painful and traumatic experiences of my life. I never imagined anything like that happening to me. And so I'm on the table and the doctor is performing the abortion. And I began to silently scream because of how painful it is. And it wasn't that I was told to do that. I had never done anything like that in my life. And I'm gasping for air, and the nurse is standing to me, next to me, to my right, and she taps me on the shoulder, and she says, Stop it. You're scaring the doctor. But I was confused at the time, too, because I didn't understand why my body was responding in the way that it did. But it didn't stop. And she taps me on my shoulder again more sternly, and she says, Stop it. You're scaring the doctor. Not one time did they pause the procedure. Not one time did they ask me if I was okay. They kept going, and I felt kind of trapped in that situation because the doctor had already performed the abortion or was already performing the abortion, and I felt helpless to do anything about it. And I just sat there and waited for him to finish. I just felt so helpless in that situation. After the abortion was over, they transferred my limp body to a reclining chair, and my upper body is hanging over the side of the armrest, and they wheeled me into the recovery room and left me there. Not one time did I receive any medical attention. No one checked my vital signs. And at this point, there's no one even waiting for me in the waiting room because I was too ashamed and too embarrassed to ask anyone to drive me. And I began to just kind of assess my condition as a nurse. There's a real fear that I am going to die in this place, and I want to call out to Jesus. But at the same time, I don't know if I can because of what i just done. But as I feel myself just continually getting worse, I eventually cry out to Jesus, and I I said, Jesus, please don't let me die here, not here and not like this. The greatest demonstration of love and mercy that Jesus has ever shown me, other than the cross, was on that day. And it was immediately after I had turned my back on the Lord because it was during that time when I turned a deaf ear to the Lord. I didn't want Him to tell me to keep my baby like He did the first time because I didn't think I was strong enough. And to be honest, I just didn't want to. Right after I had an abortion with the Holy Spirit in me, I'm supposed to be a temple in which the Holy Spirit dwells. And lastly, It happened immediately after I just aborted his child. Scripture tells us that children are a gift from the Lord. And before this child was ever mine, he or she belonged to Jesus first. Yet even in my sin, Jesus heard my cry and he rescued me that day. I eventually get enough strength to get out of that abortion clinic and to go home. And there he was with me in the grief, the loss, and the abortion trauma. When my daughter was three and a half years old, her father and I reconnect and we get married. And immediately I get pregnant. At this point, I'm thinking either I am the most fertile woman on the planet or my tubal ligation did not work. 
What started off as a joyous occasion immediately turned south. I became really sick, nauseated, vomiting, fatigue. I couldn't take care of the children on my own. I had to quit my job. I was not only taking care of my two children, but I also had my sister's child with me because she had deployed downrange for a year, and my husband was also deployed for a year as well. And because I was so sick and in that place, I began to entertain thoughts of abortion again. And I told my husband that maybe that this wasn't the right time, and maybe we should, you know, look at another time to have a baby, and maybe we should abort this one. This time, I was the one who recommended it, and he went along with it. I opted for the abortion pill thinking it was safer and gentler because I knew that I could never go back through that surgical abortion again, but I was wrong with that pill. I had complications with that as well, and I had to seek medical attention. Never ever did I imagine as a married woman that I would ever choose abortion. But Jesus was with me in that too, in the isolation, the secrecy, the shame, the guilt. He was with me through it all. At the time when I aborted the baby, I was telling myself and I was hearing that you're too sick, you're too tired, you can't take care of the kids, you can't take care of the house. But never once did I go and seek medical attention to help me with the nausea. Never once did I reach out to anyone, to any family to ask for help and support. And because I knew this, I felt greater guilt than even with the first abortion because I was married. And this time, it wasn't a guy that was telling, recommending abortion and then walking away from me. It was my husband who I was with. And I felt like I turned to secrecy and isolation because I wasn't quite sure how he felt about me after that. I wasn't quite sure if he blamed me for the loss of our child. And because I was already dealing with the blame and the shame and the guilt, I couldn't talk to him because I could barely handle my feelings regarding this. And there was no way that I can handle his too. And I was afraid that if he said that he was upset with me or if he blamed me for it, I didn't know how I was going to handle it. So it just caused me to draw even deeper into isolation and not ever wanting to talk about it. And again, I suppressed the feelings. I began to just get busy with work and with life and with the children. And it was just so much easier to try to suppress the feelings than to confront them and to deal with them. So 18 years after I gave my life to Christ, my son has received some devastating news that alters the course of his future. And I was in the front seat, my son was in the back seat, and he was so crushed and devastated by this news. And I sat in the front seat feeling so helpless. And I became really angry at myself that I didn't have any words of encouragement to offer him during that time. And here I have been a yo-yo Christian, this backslider for 18 years. And the time that my family needed me the most, I had absolutely nothing, and it angered me. And I made a vow to myself that day that never, ever will I be without Jesus. Never, ever will I be without hope, life, or a word of comfort on my tongue for myself or my family or my friends. I vowed to run to Jesus with all that I had. Whereas before, I felt like I was always tethered to Christ so that no matter how far I drifted off, I would always come back to Him. But this time, I was determined more than ever that if I wasn't going to follow Jesus for myself, I was going to follow Him for my family. And that's exactly what happened. I remember that one of the constant prayers that I had offered up to Jesus during that time was, keep me, Lord, and don't let me go. In the past, my spirit was always willing to follow after Jesus, but my flesh was always weak. And the Lord just met me in that place, and He held on to me. And it was during that time when 
I begin to go to Jesus for him and him alone and not for him to bail me out of the next episode of TJ got herself in trouble or to try to give me something or fix this situation. This time I went to Jesus solely for him. And that was the key that unlocked everything for me. And it shifted me out of religion and into relationship with Christ. Wow. Can you give us a little bit more detail about what that relationship began to look like? (laughs) I realized that when the relationship shifted from religion to just loving Jesus, I recognized that He was the love that I had always been searching for. He was the one and the only one who could ever fill the void that was in my heart. And I drew so close to Jesus during that time. And it was such a supernatural experience for me. He taught me about fasting, and I fasted for the first time. And it was like heaven opened up. And I began speaking in tongues and just worshiping Him in a way that I had never worshiped Him before. And let me tell you, I never knew how to even approach Jesus without wanting something from Him. And there was the night when... I had read, I think it was The Tragic Neglect of the Holy Spirit by Francis Chan. And he said, if I am only searching for Jesus, for what he can give me and not for who he is, then that's idolatry. And I remember being on my knees that night and saying, Lord, I don't know how to even be with you. I don't even know how to pray to you without wanting something. I need you to help me to want you for who you are, to love you for who you are, to be in relationship just for who you are. And I felt like he did just that. Like my love for him grew. No longer did it feel like the temptations of the world were there. I was all in for him. I was head over heels in love with Jesus. Amen. TJ, how did God begin to redeem those hurt places that you had as you began to grow closer to him? It was during that time where there was a book circulating around my job, and it was called Heaven is For Real. It's based upon a true story about a little boy who has this supernatural encounter with heaven. And in this book, I am just—it's so good, and I'm usually a slow reader, but this book is so good, I could not put it down. And eventually, I get to a chapter that just begins to change everything for me. And it's when Colton, the little four-year-old boy from this book, has an experience where he's in heaven and he meets his sister. And his sister is someone he never even knew existed because she died in her mother's womb through miscarriage. Anywho, she goes on to tell them how excited she is about meeting her parents one day. And it's like my whole world stopped and was turned upside down by the revelation that if his sister is alive, who died in his mother's womb via miscarriage, then my children, who died in my womb via abortion, are alive as well. And that just turned everything upside down for me. Scripture tells us that man can kill the body, but he cannot kill the soul, and that all souls belong to Jesus. What I never considered before was that the babies in my womb had souls. And it was during that time that I began to become really excited because I knew that the actions that I took to abort my children weren't permanent. My children were alive in heaven too, and that they are waiting on me. I didn't go searching for truth regarding abortion when I picked up this book. Like I had suppressed those feelings so far within me. I had pushed them down. I was doing a great job not even thinking about the abortions anymore at that time. But when I picked up that book that isn't even about abortion, Jesus used that as a way to challenge me regarding my beliefs and my past decisions regarding abortion. And he began to take me on this journey of healing as well. Can you tell us a little bit about that healing journey 
did he lead you into forgiveness or what did that look like for you? First, I began learning about our names and how they carry our God-given identity in them. And it was during this time where I began researching the names of my family and my children. And I never named my children off of any meaning. I just named them off of whatever sounded good at that time. But when I got to my daughter's name, my mind was blown. Because remember the, qu- the prayer that was on my heart as I was going to the abortion clinic. Lord, if you don't want me to have this abortion, get me out of it. I found out that my daughter's first name means God has heard. And her middle name means heard. She was 14 years old when I found out about her name meaning. And let me tell you that it was no coincidence because God is the God of timing and strategies. And I discovered that the number 14 in Hebrew means double portion, which that is carried in her first and middle name. It also means Passover, deliverance, and salvation. Jesus delivered my baby, and He saved us both from abortion that day. And when I was able to see that He was hidden in her name, and He was the answer to my prayer, and that it's in her name, it just really began to take me on this journey of healing from abortion with Him. And as he was taking me on this journey, I was asking him for forgiveness because I thought it was the Christian thing to do. But I knew deep down inside, I didn't really mean it. I was still holding on to lies and justifications that allowed me to cope. And God was so gentle and gracious in all of it that he was with me even in in that. And he began to unfold and reveal forgiveness because I felt like it came even in layers. Forgiveness looked like me first having true repentance, and that was just coming through just interactions with Jesus. That was coming through the Word. That was coming through how He saw life. And another layer of that was learning how to forgive myself for the abortion, learning how to forgive the men in my life who recommended abortion. It was so crazy because the Lord showed me that even after all those years that I was still hanging on to bitterness and resentment towards them. And it was so much easier for me to point the blame at them and say that there were the ones who recommended abortion because it was so I wouldn't have to face or confront the blame that I had and the responsibility that I played in all of it. And one night the Lord gives me the dream, gives me a dream. And in this dream, I'm seeing this man who recommends abortion to the mother of his child. And I'm given insight into his heart. And I see that deep down In his heart, he's really afraid, but on the outside, no one would ever be able to tell because he looks so composed. He looks like so calm and like he has it all together. And the Lord was showing me that, you know, even at the root of abortion is fear. And it really began to break my heart wide open for the men in my life and the anger and the bitterness and the resentment that I was holding, and to begin to soften my heart so that I can have more compassion for them, and to recognize that we were all victims in this. Even myself, even them, even the babies that we aborted, we were all victims to the fear and the lies that you know were being told to us over and over. And I felt like the Lord was just calling me also on this journey of healing. But at some point it shifted because I thought that this healing journey was for me and me alone. But then he started to ask me to share my testimony with others. And that's when I became really leery, right? Because I wasn't comfortable with that. But back in 2017, I have this dream and in the dream, there is this really tall figure who was holding a clipboard. And he asked me to recall something from my past. 
and I respond, the hard decision. And he looks at his clipboard and he says, we move into phase one next year. And my nosy self gets on my tippy toes to try to see what in the world is written on this clipboard because I have no idea what he's referencing from my past, what the hard decision is, what's phase one, how many phases of it it is. But I recognize that he was an angel because he was carrying a message from the Lord to deliver to me. And I began pressing into the Lord to try to find out, okay, what does all of this mean? And I never heard her answer, but when God doesn't answer initially, He will answer eventually. In 2019, I'm watching the Send um, gathering online, and I drift off to sleep, and I have another dream. (laughs) And in the dream is one of the prophets from the Send gathering. And I'm around a crowd of people, and we are all leaving the stadium gates with our sending orders and assignments. And this man, this prophet, begins to speak about abortion. And him and I make eye contact, and through spirit-to-spirit communication, I become aware that my sending assignment is abortion. And that's when I began to connect the hard decision dream to this dream here where the Lord was commissioning me to speak about abortion because the hard decision, this difficult thing from my past, was me choosing abortion. And so he just kind of thrusted me into deep inner healing and deliverance. And as I began to have the forgiveness broken off, he then begins to speak to me about how an abortion is performed and he wants me to watch this. 20 years after my abortion is when I find out how an abortion is performed. Even as a nurse, I never knew, and it's because I didn't want to know. I remember specifically when I went into the abortion clinic with my daughter and she performed the ultrasound, I turned my head away so that I wouldn't have to see the image of a child on that screen because I knew that if I saw the form of a baby, I wouldn't be able to go through it, through with it. But the Lord walked me through seeing how an abortion was performed. And let me tell you, that pierced me to my very core. I felt so much anguish deep within my soul for what I had done, and I knew that I finally had walked into a deeper level of complete and total repentance. And Jesus walked me through that. It wasn't like I was going through that or experiencing that alone. Jesus was walking me through it because sometimes He will take us back to the most difficult times in our lives And He will walk us through that in order to bring healing and deliverance to us. And I felt like one of the aspects of that is that Jesus says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Me seeing how an abortion was performed liberated me from all the lies, the denials, the justifications, the worldly acceptance. It, It demolished everything. And I was finally free to see how God sees abortion, and I was finally able to grieve fully for the children that I aborted, yet also at that time knowing that they are not dead, my children are alive. And I think lastly, He also took me through inner healing and deliverance in the form of going through a time of ministry where he showed me that I have been pregnant four times in my life, and all four times I considered abortion. That's not normal. And he began to show me the spirits behind abortion, which were the spirit of murder, the spirit of death. It was the spirit of shame, guilt. I even saw generational curses come into play, word curses that were spoken over me. And just seeing how even the generational curses, me not even being aware, I recognize 
that as I began to speak openly about this to my family, I began to see that this was something that was in my family. And I wasn't making these decisions alone. I was also influenced by the curse that had come upon our bloodline because of this. But Jesus was with me through every last bit of this. And if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't be standing before you today sharing my testimony of how the Lord has walked me through just this painful time of abortion and has led me to a place where I can no longer walk in shame and guilt, but can testify of his goodness towards me and anyone else who has an abortion. TJ, what does your life look like now, having been redeemed and restored by Jesus? (laughs) Oh, man, it is completely opposite of what it used to look like. You know, after that time of being a backslider in this yo-yo Christian for 18 years, I can say that once I turned to Jesus, I have never turned back. It's just been such a great time of intimacy and just deep love. It's been the Lord just constantly being at my side and me learning about His Word, being around other believers. Like my life is so enriched with Jesus in it that there is no lack. There is no lack when He is in the picture versus before I was always aware of my lack. But when you have Jesus, you have everything that you need. TJ, what words of encouragement do you have for people who are watching that haven't been able to forgive themselves for the abortions they had? Maybe you're listening to my story today and parts of it resonates with you. Maybe my story is your story. Maybe you felt like you didn't have any other choice. Or maybe you were the one who made the woman feel like She didn't have any other choice. I want to tell you today that Jesus extended hope, healing, and forgiveness towards me. And he's extending the same hope, healing, and forgiveness to you too. I want you to know that your children aren't dead, but they are alive. And they're alive in heaven, and they are waiting to meet you one day. His scripture says so. And there's such a promise in Scripture that, that's even for the babies in our womb. It says, Though my mother and father may abandon me, my Lord will never forsake me. Jesus will never leave us as orphans, and He will never forsake us. So even if you've had an abortion, if you recommended abortion, or and even know for the children that we aborted, Jesus is there, and He is here and with us, waiting for you to call out to Him so that He can release healing and forgiveness in you. Is there anything that you can tell to those young women watching, even those young girls that may be searching for love in all the wrong places and haven't seemed to find it yet? I know that fatherlessness plays a a huge part and especially young girls out there searching for love. I can speak for myself that I didn't have a father in my life, and I was so hungry to have love from a male. And I think it was just compounded because my mother didn't know how to show love. It's not that she didn't love me. It's just because she didn't know how to show it. My recommendation is this. Just as I found out that Jesus was the love that I had been missing this entire time, you won't be able to find love in another man. Even as even as a married woman, my husband is not able to fill the places in my heart that are only meant to be filled by Jesus. So run to Jesus, open your heart to Him, and allow Him to love you in a way that no one else can. TJ, who is Jesus to you? Jesus is the one who called me from the tomb, just like He did with Lazarus. And he removed the garments of shame, of guilt, of abortion, of loss. He removed all of those garments. And he was the one who who told me that I am loved. He's the one who never ran from me, but he drew 
closer to me, even in my sin. He's the one who saw me in isolation, and he's remembered my tears, and he collected every last one of them. He was the one who, even when I was unfaithful to, he was faithful to me. He's my redeemer. He's my deliverer. He's the one who saved my children. He's the one who made me a mother. He's the one who is in heaven with my children now. He's the one who turns ashes into beauty. And let me tell you, I never thought anything could be beautiful about this or anything beautiful can come out of it. But Jesus has found a way. He is the lover of my soul he is everything to me, and He is the one who makes all things new. He's my everything. <laughs> He's my best friend. He's all that I need. TJ, do you have any last words for the people watching? Yeah, I definitely do. I also want to say that if you are considering abortion, I want to tell you that I have heard some of the same lies that you are hearing right now. I heard the lie that I was a teenager and I should have an abortion. I heard the lie that I was a college student and I should have an abortion because there's no way I can finish college by being pregnant. But that was false. I was able to complete nursing school and without a gap. I heard the lie where I didn't have money. I didn't have a job. I didn't have a house. I didn't have a car. I didn't have X, Y, Z. And they were all lies. There were lies, but here's the thing. The enemy will use what is presently true, and he will try to twist it and make you think that that's your future and that it's permanent, but it's not. Every last one of those lies he blew out of, out of the water. Those lies were not my future. Even my daughter's life is a sign of miracle and wonder, and she is the one who helps me to see that Every convincing argument that attempted to persuade me that aborting her was the right choice was not true. Those were lies. And if they were true for her, if they were false for her, they were, they were also false for my unborn children too. And they're false for your unborn children too. When I didn't have the answers, when I didn't have the provisions, Jesus became all of that to me. And I want to also encourage the woman who made the hard decision, which is so crazy that the Lord gave me those words, the hard decision. But in the society that we live in now, it has become a harder decision to keep your baby. But I want to let you know, too, that even when you made the hard decision to keep your baby, even in the lack that you're experiencing, the frustrations that you feel, the not knowing where the income is going to come from, I want you to know that Jesus will provide for you as well. Look to Him. Let Him be the answer to your problems. Just have faith and trust that this Jehovah Jireh, the same one that came and provided for me, will also come and provide for you as well.